Welcome back to Monsters and Mixers. We are your hosts. I'm Amy. And I'm Emma. And we're really excited to be back. It has been a little over a week because we were super duper busy last week. We had a really good, fun week. But very little time to sit still and do our podcast thing. So here we are. We're back. And we have a haunted episode this week. Mm-hmm. I'm excited. Yeah. Emma has a question she came up with. She hit me with this when I was driving home from work today and I had literally no answer for her. So maybe someone out there can help us understand her really legitimate question. (laughs) I was like, I was driving by myself and I was just thinking and I realized that when you hear like people talking about their paranormal experiences or like ghosts and spirits that they've seen, you never hear them mention like a ghost that has identifiable tattoos or like a spirit that had tattoos that they like died with and passed over with. Right, or even like after we start talking, because I have never thought of that. What about like piercings and yeah. body mods? Like and I am like a pretty modified person. Like I have almost a full sleeve. So I, in the event that I become a ghost, like knock on wood, would those be with me still in the afterlife? I hope so. Are you? If they're like defining characteristics of someone while they're on earth, then why would they not pass over? I don't know. Because you hear about spirits that still have like their facial hair or like outfits that they wore all the time. I don't know why don't tattoos know. wouldn't also be one of those things. Are you worried that yours aren't going to go with you? Yeah, I don't want to be a lame <laughs> ghost. I'd be so pissed. I've spent a lot of money on my arm. I hope it continues with me in the afterlife. Maybe when you get your next tattoo, you should ask for that um, eternal ink. See if they have like <laughs> right. some special. Maybe it's only because maybe it's like white ink tattoos will show up. I don't know. It's just never something that you hear anyone say. Like, oh yeah, we have this ghost and he has like full sleeves and like neck tattoos and like stuff like that. Like you never hear that. Even though tattoos are ancient, they've been around for... So long, like since Egypt, essentially, and like old time Asia. So it'd be, it's weird. Yeah. It's nothing you ever hear. Honestly, I never, ever thought about it until today. Did you just come up with that today? Yeah, I was sitting in the Goodwill parking lot and I was like, I need to ask this question (laughs) to someone because I, we watch enough like ghost adventures that I think I would recall like them saying like, oh, the spirit that haunts this place is like tattooed. You yeah, never hear that ever. Well, and after I got off the phone with you, I started thinking about that lady who said she married the pirate ghost. Mm-hmm. Surely he had some kind of like. Don't, didn't pirates have tattoos? Well, I don't know. I mean, I know like old sailors had tattoos. Yeah. Maybe but I'm, just, I, I'm not sure. Maybe I'm conflating the two. I don't know. It's got me tripping now because I'm wondering if anyone out there listening has seen a ghost with tattoos, or, or just knows of like a story where tattoos are like mentioned in the ghost that someone sees. Yeah, that would be. It would be enlightening because mm-hmm. I, I really, I don't know how I never thought of that. And you also, like we were talking about, most of the ghosts that we talk about or even that I've heard about seem to be older, like from a, an older period of time. And I almost kind of wonder if there's like a transitional period where your spirit is maybe at rest and then becomes a ghost or I don't know. Although there are stories of people who see their children who recently passed right. and their ghosts. So I don't know. Like their parents, like stuff like that. I I don't know. And maybe it's because you don't really have, like when you're translucent, you can't pick up on them. Maybe they have the tattoos. They're just not very visible because they're not solid enough. Maybe. Maybe you're t- trying to drink early. Sorry. Um, we also had another paranormal experience happen. It wasn't Emma or I this time. It was actually um, my husband and her dad. So I get this phone call two days ago, I'm going to categorize it as rather frantic, (laughs) saying, "Um, so I'm sober and I just want to tell you that I just saw a giant black mass shadow coming either up or down the stairs, wasn't clear which direction it was going. And it was so large that he actually thought that her or I were home and we were not, we were actually out. And... He called out like, hey, Amy, are you there? Nope. Emma, is that you? Nope. So after the trash can thing and now the shadow, I feel like we really might be getting into a more active period. The thing that creeps me out the most is that I promised I would sage when I got home and I have this new sage and lavender because I've been reading up and lavender is supposed to be really good for helping cleanse the house and keep 
if you have a good spirit, it's not going to like, you know, do any harm to them. But if you have something negative, it'll clear it out. And so I grabbed Emma's long lighter that she uses to light her candle. So, you know, the really long ones that I'm talking about, the, like the skinny thing. And she has since confirmed that that lighter kind of is on the fritz. But it kept going out on me. And that really didn't bother me as much as I would get the sage in a full-on burn, like burning. And it would not stay lit longer than like five seconds. And I lit that thing probably 30 times and barely even was able to do one pass along the upstairs. I didn't even get to finish the basement because the sage wouldn't stay lit. So now Were we have the windows a, open. I did open the windows. What's funny because it was kind of chilly and starting to rain and your dad was going around shutting all the windows when I told him I was getting ready to sage. And I was like, where are they going to go? Yeah. You can't close the we windows know. and then clean your space because then you're just going to have a bunch of confused entities running around trying to figure out how the hell they're supposed to leave. So long story short, our house is not fully cleansed. I'm going to try again. I actually um, in the two girls, one ghost Facebook group and some people gave me some really good ideas about some stones we can place around. I think tourmaline, black tourmaline. Is that, that sounds right. And then some other um, things that you can do. Like one lady said she was trying to cleanse a place and had the same problem. Her sage kept going out. And if you light it with a candle, sometimes that helps it burn a little better. Yeah, I can see that. So we're going to try that and see if it works. I light my incense with candles sometimes. Yeah. Either way, we're going to have to try and get something figured out. Because I don't mind if it's a, you know, a Casper-type spirit, but a big black shadow mass, I feel like. I hope it's a spirit with tattoos. Not. Yeah. <laughs> if, so I can see and prove. If you're here and you have tattoos, Emma wants to see them. In a nice setting, please. Not at like that four was, in the morning. That was not a ghost. That's our very rude, supposed to be quiet guest sitting over on the couch coughing. About to get booted out of here. <laughs> All right. So, we have a really cool, I like this episode, it's a Cursed Objects episode. So I'm just going to kind of set the scene for you a little bit. Imagine you go to a yard sale, a flea market, an auction, an antique store, or you just randomly find some super amazing item. You're really excited, you get home, put your new prize in its display for all to see. The next day, strange things begin to happen, and you are helpless to stop them. This is exactly what happened to the unfortunate owners of these cursed objects. So grab your beverages and join us as we attempt to ruin every normal oldish and sometimes completely new item that you currently own. This episode feels more appropriate for shots. And so we're going to introduce you to one of our favorite shots of all time. It is super easy. You can buttery nip nip is <laughs> a buttery nip nip. You can um, make these either a shot or, or you can make them into a drink. If you don't like what we're going to do, grab your favorite beverage of choice. It's super easy though. You need, I have on here equal parts Bailey's Irish cream of butterscotch schnapps, but it's actually two parts butterscotch and one part Bailey's if you want it to be a traditional buttery nipple. I did about one and a half um, butterscotch and one Bailey's. So you just, your Bailey should be chilled because you keep it in the fridge. If you're not doing that, you're doing it wrong and you're going to get sick. So grab your Baileys out of the fridge, mix them together. You can either put it in a shot glass or a lowball glass and pour in your preferred amounts. You actually don't have to keep Baileys in the fridge. What? I'm lying. Sorry, you don't have to keep your Baileys in the fridge. I prefer it. I don't keep it in the fridge where I work. Oh. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Uh-oh. It's much better cold, but yes. you do not have to keep it in the fridge. All right. Well, they are best when the Baileys is chilled. You can, if you want to, though, shake it on ice and then strain it into a glass. So we have ours. Ours are in a glass. Pretty, pretty big glass. I made them like wine that So cheers. Cheers. To the buttery nip nips. Delicioso. <laughs> Yum. I half made a joke on Facebook when I was posting the recipe. Like, we're going to do shots, but don't do a shot every time we say cursed objects. <laughs> I don't want that on my hands. I don't want y'all to be super belligerently drunk after a 40-minute podcast. All right. So our first cursed object, see, you'd already be three shots in, is located on the 10-acre Myrtles Plantation in St. Francisville, Louisiana. And the plantation itself is really super cool. It has a really dark and seeded past, though. This mirror is said to contain the spirits of Sarah Woodruff and her children. 
The three of them were poisoned by a slave named Chloe back in the 1800s. Rumor has it that Chloe was forced into, a, into an affair with the plantation owner, Judge Clark Woodruff, which, as we all know, was a very commonplace thing to have happen back then. Soon after their affair began, the judge also started having an affair with another young girl, also from the plantation. She was fearful that she would be forced from the house and made to do hard labor in the fields because I'm sure everybody knows historically it was much easier um, living or existence. We're not going to call it a life because that's not it to be inside than it was to be mm -hmm. outside. Especially in Louisiana. Yeah, in the brutal heat. So she came up with this plan to make herself seem more useful. She baked a cake with some special ingredients. And her plan was just to make the family ill so she could tend to them and take care of them when they were sick so she could show that she was a really good caregiver and he needed to keep her around. However, she miscalculated how much she put in and she used a deadly amount of crushed oleander leaves. And she ended up killing the family. Her... Fellow slaves were terrified that they would be considered murderers also if they did not turn her in. So under the canopy of darkness, they drug her out of bed and hanged her in a tree on the property. So she was killed by the other people. Afterwards, they threw her body in the water, damning Chloe to forever roam the plantation grounds. Chloe's ghost is seen peering through windows and is often captured in the photos of visitors to the bed and breakfast that now occupies the old Myrtle's plantation. The Myrtle, the Myrtle, the mirror has been reported host a variety of paranormal activity ranging from handprints coming from the inside of the glass and strange drip marks that appear and run the full length of the mirror. Despite the efforts of staff to clean them off, nothing can remove the residue fully and soon after cleaning the marks are back. Visitors have also spotted and captured photos of figures in old fashioned attire lurking behind them in the mirror. So it's a really sad and tragic story that... Also, can we just acknowledge how fucked up it is that, like, this plantation has the history, dark history, as most plantations do, and it's now a bed and breakfast. That is pretty fucked up. Yeah. I know. I used to really think, I feel like Brian Reynolds and Blake Lively sometimes, um, you know, how they had a they wedding had on a plantation, wedding and, yeah. and I didn't realize how tone deaf and awful it was, and they've since apologized. But it's always been like a dream of mine to go to a plantation because well, they mean, look so beautiful. Especially like and... modern times, they're marketed as like beautiful places to come and they like host weddings because it's like mm -hmm. beautiful scenery and usually in like warm places where people want to be. But yeah, when you like stop and think for a second, you're like, oh, maybe this should not be used for our entertainment and instead just be like a historical landmark that is there for people to come and learn. Are there any plantations that did not participate in slavery that would be open for visiting? I am not sure. I'm sure there are some that are actually like historical landmarks that are used as like museums and stuff yeah. like that. Because the idea I of staying know. in this place honestly sounds pretty cool, even though it does have the sordid past. I mean, there are so many pictures online that you can find of people standing in front of the mirror. And I actually, one of the ones I'm going to post shows it. And you can see, I believe it's um, Sarah in the background, like, in her old-timey dress, like, standing right behind them. And they have videos of people standing in front of it as the handprints, like, appear. And it's really sad to me because I don't believe the ghosts are seen anywhere else. So, so did they he literally eat are, the cake? He did not eat the cake. Yeah. Um, it's sad to me that the spirits of them are trapped inside that mirror. I think it's really awful mm -hmm. and tragic. Because, I mean... And also for her to be trapped, like, there. Yeah. There's many pictures of her, and they're all really chilling. Because she was just trying to get by, man. And she may have made a mistake, but no, oh, it's sad. Um, all right, number two. Back in the 1980s, stories began to circulate about houses and apartments burning to the ground. All of these fires had a common theme. A soul painting survived, the crying boy painting. And it's actually a series of paintings by Italian artist Giovanni Breg Bregolin. And they all seem to have sparked quite the controversy due to rumors of a curse spreading quickly throughout the United Kingdom. Not only did the houses and apartments with the paintings all catch fire, they were left in complete and utter ruin with every item in the house reduced to ashes except the painting. So how could a painting survive once? How could it happen over and over again. That's where all the questions are coming from. Like, one, one time it's a fluke. 
all of these things happening over and over, that's like a huge deal. And what, if anything, did any of these paintings have to do with the fires? Many people began calling into news stations to report that within months of purchasing one of the Crying Boy paintings, their houses caught fire and burned down. One artist said her house was destroyed every sing was destroyed and every single painting within its walls was decimated, except for the one of the Crying Boy, which she had purchased a mere six months prior. Fires don't seem to be the only tragedy associated with the paintings, although it is the most commonly reported. A few people have said their family members have unexpectedly died after buying a painting. Some have spoken out about injuries they have gotten right afterwards, including one man who said he caught his privates on a hook after he got a copy. That sounds like a very horrible injury. Yeah. And then a man named Don Bonillo claimed he was left homeless after both his parents died in a fire that he said was caused by the crying boy painting. Not only that, but every place he stayed after, a fire would break out. Soon people were too afraid that he was carrying the curse around with him that they refused to take him in. Poor Don was forced to sleep in his vehicle. That is, until a few years later when the charred ruins of a car were found with a body inside. The ID on the driver's license said Don Benio. So that poor guy really went through it. To put rumors to rest, a BBC radio presenter, Steve Punt, attempted to burn a copy of The Crying Boy live on YouTube. He was like, hey, I'm going to do some investigative journalism. Um, that painting would not burn. Upon return home, Punt put the painting on his porch because he did not want to take any chances with it inside his home. So he was really sketched out. Um, this is one painting that I will not be buying and hanging in my house. Um, not just because of the curse, but I personally find it to be really, really, really creepy without the spontaneous combustion issues. Have you seen the Crying Boy painting? No, I'm about to look it up. It is, and it's, like I said, it's a series of paintings all with the boy crying, but it's like a different angle of the little boy or a different... Is there like a story behind it? No, some guy just painted it, and it is terrifying. I don't really like paintings of other people's kids anyway. I find them really weird. The kid looks pretty sweet and angelic mm -hmm. until you realize that the paintings are literally like mass destruction fire bombs. What if they're just like flame retardants? <laughs> Mythbusters did do a thing, but I didn't get into what they found out. They would have to be pretty flame retardant canopy. I'm sure that everything and other things in the house were treated with some kind of flame retardant substance. That's hard to say. And something else would have survived. The fact that everything was completely gone and then the paintings just chilling in the corner. It would just be funny if it was like a century-long, like, <laughs> decade-long prank from the from the artist himself. He was like, I'm going to make sure these are indestructible. And then all these people are like, what in the fuck? I don't know if that is a possible thing. <laughs> I don't know if it could be Probably indestructible. Not. No. All right, number three. We have a 5,300-year-old mummified and frozen corpse and it has been linked to the deaths of seven people. And I have looked up how to pronounce this, but I'm probably going to say it wrong anyway. I believe it's Uzi. It's spelled O-T-Z-I. The Iceman. And he has been causing fear since he was discovered in 1991 near the Austrian border in the Alps. He is a perfectly preserved warrior from the Stone Age. In 2004, the rumors of the curse began to take hold after 67-year-old Helmut Simon... A German tourist who discovered the mummy fell to his death during a spontaneous and freak blizzard. One could chalk this up to mere coincidence, but it had been in almost the exact same spot where Otzi was found. One death is definitely not a curse, but seven makes you wonder. Within an hour of Simon's funeral, Dieter Warneck, the head of the mountain rescue team that was assigned to find Simon, died of a heart attack at the age of 45. If you're still not convinced... How about the 55-year-old archaeologist, Conrad Spindler, who was the first to inspect Uzi, Atsi, the Iceman. He died from complications from MS in April of the same year. It was a very sudden onset of MS, too. It's not like he'd been battling it for a long time. Or the head of the forensic team that examined the Iceman, Rainer Hinn, 64, dying in a car crash on his way to give a lecture about the Iceman in 1992. And then Kurt Fritz, the 52-year-old mountaineer that led Rainier Hen to the Iceman's body, dying in an avalanche. 
He was traveling with others at the time, but the avalanche only hit him, which is pretty unheard of. Plus, the man who filmed the Iceman's removal from the mountain, Rainier Holzel, two Rainiers, died of a brain tumor at just 47. So if you are brave enough, you can visit the Iceman at the South Tyrol Museum of Archaeology. But that sounds like a really bad string of premature death. Mm -hmm. I mean, only one of them was in their 60s. The rest were, oh, two in their 60s. The rest were 45 and healthy and 50 and healthy and... I don't know. Have you? I showed you a picture. Yeah, I've it's seen them. Quite scary. Also, like scary, but also really cool that a corpse that old has been so well preserved. Mm -hmm. They did a lot of um, testing and things, and they think that he actually was murdered when he was walking by other people with him because they found um, stab wounds on his back. And there was for a long time some kind of speculation that he might have died of hungry, hungry, of hunger, of starvation, but they were able to use modern technology and his stomach still had food in it. So it's actually really cool. Mm -hmm. We can do a lot of things that we did not used to be able to do. Yeah. How is he so well preserved? Just the mountain? Just frozen in the ice, I guess. I mean, he doesn't look like a person. Well, no. When you look I mean, at the picture, he definitely looks skeletal. Skeletal. But I mean, there's still flesh on the bones, which yeah. should not be the case. It should have just been bones that were maybe reduced to it looks like he was Dust. legitimately, like, professionally mummified. Yeah. All right. So far, we've had items you could avoid if you wanted. You don't have to go see a mirror. You don't have to buy a crying board painting or perform autopsies on mummies. But what happens when you're cursed by something you have zero control over? In this next case of a cursed object, one could argue that it isn't really an object at all because it isn't tangible. You can't technically hold it. It is Bulgarian phone number 359-888-888-888. And you don't have to worry. You're not going to randomly assigned it because they decided they were going to permanently suspend the number after it was connected to the death of three different people within like two years. The first unlucky person assigned the number was Vladimir Grasshoff, and he was the CEO of the phone number company Mobitel, which was actually the issuer of the number. And he died of cancer in 2001 at the young age of 48. He, again, it was like a very sudden, like, boom, here you go. You got cancer, you're dead real quick. Um, the next death, though, could be considered more of an occupational hazard than a curse. But I'll let you guys decide. So Bulgarian mafia boss Konstantin, Konstantin, but it's not spelled like that, Dimitriov was issued the number and shortly thereafter was gunned down while eating dinner out with a model. He was only 31 years old, but to be fair, he was in the Netherlands supervising a $500 million drug smuggling deal. And so that's a bit of a dangerous occupation to be in. And then the third victim of the phone number was Konstantin Dishleyev. Same first names, I know. He was a real estate agent who had secretly began operating a very large cocaine smuggling ring also. He, too, was killed while attempting to dine out in 2005 in Bulgaria. The parallels are very strange. The company refuses to speak about why the number was retired. They've been asked many times, like, why'd you take this out of circulation? But I think it's safe to say that three dead people in less than 10 years with the same number would make them a bit nervous about passing the curse on to other people. Do you think they retired it because all these mob drug bosses were the ones using it <laughs> well the first person wasn't a mob drug boss he was just some poor little ceo of a phone company the other two were then the other two got beat down by <laughs> their competitors i don't know i think it's kind of strange though that when they both were dining out both have the same name both have the same number well they were both, both doing murdered. pretty nefarious things that's why i said i'll let you make the call it just seems a little a little strange to me. It's also a really long phone number. It well, I would imagine that there's it's probably like two letters or two numbers longer than American phone numbers. Yeah. I don't know, maybe there's so many people who knows in Bulgaria. <laughs> Possibly. I don't know. All right. Um number 5. This 4-pound silver vase was is called the Bassano vase and it was made in the 15th century. It is considered to be one of the most haunted objects in history, but no one knows its current whereabouts or even really much of its history. Considering how completely normal the 
the vase looks. It could be in an antique shop waiting to be sold or on someone's mantle waiting to unleash its curse again. The vase dates back to a legend from the 15th century, and the story says it was crafted in a small Italian town near Napoli as a wedding gift for a young bride. When it was delivered to the beautiful young woman, she thought the anonymous gift was a good omen. However, she was found dead on her living room floor, clutching the vase, never having even made it to her own wedding. It was really sad. Another family member then took possession of the vase and soon died. Yet another family member was given the vase after this death, and they too died almost immediately under strange circumstances. The only connections to their deaths was the vase. So the family decided they'd had enough, all these people dying. So in hopes to prevent the vase from harming anyone else, they hid it. No one knows where the vase was hidden. Uh, there's rumors that a priest locked it away and the family, and other rumors that the family simply buried it in their yard. So no one really knew for a while, at least for se several centuries. The vase was never mentioned until in 1988, it was said to have been dug up by a young man. Inside, there was a note pro proclaiming a warning, and it said, Beware, this vase brings death. Of course, the young man didn't believe in curses, because, you know, we're modern day. We don't really believe in that kind of stuff. I do, but... Um, he ignored the warning and sold the vase. It sold for $3,000 very quickly to a pharmacist. Only three months later, the pharmacist died of a... Wait, the farmer died. Sorry, the farmer was the first one. Died of a mystery ailment. The pharmacist. My God, I butchered <laughs> that part. I feel like my autocorrect was on one or something. I don't know. Three months later, the pharmacist died of a mystery ailment. His family sold the vase to a doctor who also died suddenly. So how many bodies are we up to now? Like six. A lot. The next owner, an archaeologist, purchased the vase to add to his extensive collection of artifacts. Again, three months later, he too died of an unknown illness. At that point, you deserve it. Well, I, they don't know of all the ones from before. Like the, They know of at least two. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? The vase continued to be sold and continued to kill its new owners until right. the family of the most recent owner, and this part really freaked me out, who was gravely ill, decided not to sell the vase. So the guy gets the vase. He gets sick. They're like, we can't sell this. Instead, they toss it out the window. When they tossed it out the window, it almost hit a police officer on the head. And so the officer picked it up and brought it back to them along with a fine for littering. The family said, okay, they paid the fine, but they said, we're not taking that vase back. We do not want it. Keep it. The officer tried to take the vase to a museum, but none of the museums would take it. They were all like, you're not bringing that shit in here. No. After the refusal of the museums to take the vase, the police disposed of it in a, another unknown location. Some say the cop buried it in the woods. Others say it was buried in the cemetery. And that was the last time it was seen. So I'm going to post a picture of it. It's a really bad picture. And you can see if you have this vase anywhere or if you see it, don't buy it. Why are we just not breaking it? Um, it's silver. It's made out of silver. How are you, gonna, you would have to melt it. You can't oh. really break a silver vase. I mean, it's hard metal. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right, we have just a couple more, and now is a very good time for us to pay some bills. So, we'll be right back. <laughs> and we are back with some more cursed objects and some more buttery nipple shots. So, cheers to everybody out there indulging with us. Cheers, Emma. Cheers. Okay, our sixth cursed item is the Thomas Busby chair, and it is currently housed in the Thirsk Museum in North Yorkshire, England. Even if you were brave or stupid enough to want to try your luck and sit in the chair, it is impossible. Why? Because the chair is hanging from the wall too high up for anyone to reach. And this was a non-negotiable condition of the chair being surrendered to the museum. So how did the chair get cursed? It goes all the way back to 1702 when Thomas Busby, who was a known drunk with a bad temper, had an argument with his father-in-law, Daniel Audie, about their next big crime. 
at the time they were known for for forgery and counterfeiting and they were working together and they were just kind of on the outs, I guess. After they got into their argument, they both went their separate ways to calm down, but later ran into each other at another local pub. While they were at the pub, another argument began. And it is debated if the argument was over Daniel being unhappy that Busby was married to his daughter, because he was kind of a jerk and not really what you want for your kid. Or if it was because he chose to sit in Thomas's favorite chair. There are some stories that say both. That Thomas was so enraged, he yanked his father-in-law out of the chair and tossed him into the street. Uh, he still was not calmed down, though, because Thomas had a serious problem. And he decided to start planning to get revenge on the man. He went to Daniel's house and beat him to death with a hammer. He knew after their fight earlier that he would be the immediate suspect, so he ran to the woods and attempted to hide. He didn't last long, though, as he was very quickly arrested, tried, and convicted of murder. His punishment was death by hanging, and his body was to be displayed from the gallows of the inn where he lived to serve as a warning to others about the punishment for murder. Which is quite the... <laughs> You're making a face. Yeah, we've come so far. We have, well, in some ways, we've come so far, but I would hope that we're no longer hanging people and leaving their bodies there for people to see. That's some, like, Handmaid's Tale or Game of Thrones shit. Um, Thomas Busby, though, before his death, could be heard shouting, cursing, and promising that anyone who dared sit in his chair would meet a violent death. The bodies didn't really start stacking up for almost 200 years. Or at least that's when people began to connect the dots and realize the chair might actually have something to do with all of these deaths. And so here are the deaths that are associated with the Thomas Busby chair. In 1894, a man visiting the pub with his friends where he had had a bit too much to drink. Um, he then left the pub very drunk and decided to wait. He sat down in the chair because he had had too much to drink. He then left the pub very drunk and decided to lie down on the road and sleep before making it all the way home. The next morning, <clears throat> his body was found hanging from a post by the gallows where Busby was hanged. So no one has any idea what happened to him, why in the hell his body was hanging, nothing. Uh, during World War II, airmen were known to sit in the chair despite knowing the risks. Rumor has it they were all casualties of the war. So everyone that sat in that chair died in the war, which could or could not be a coincidence, but it feels like it might be like connected somehow. In 1968, two different airmen, 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 sat down in the chair for just a few seconds each. Apparently, though, that was enough time because they crashed their car into a tree on the way back to the base and died en route to the hospital. These are just the ones we know about. In all, 60 deaths have been linked to the chair. Some other victims, I'm sorry, that's not all we know about. That's all that the military has talked about. Some other victims include a cleaning lady, poor lady, just tired, sat down, uh, lots of hitchhikers, young and healthy men, and construction workers. The last time someone sat in the chair in the pub was 1978. A delivery man saw the chair in the cellar which is where they had locked it away because they were tired of all the dead people. He decided it looked way too comfortable to not sit in. Shortly after, he left the pub and also crashed his car and died. The owner, who had had enough, he was over it, immediately donated the chair to the Thirst Museum. And like I said before, the only thing he wanted in return was the guarantee that it would be hung on the wall and never taken down, which is where it still is to this day. And I believe, did we watch a Ghost Adventures where they went and talked about it and Zach was like trying to get him to let him sit in the chair? Like, I don't Why does that feel like a that thing? That seems like probably yeah. something he would do. I would definitely not be sitting in a freaking chair that's known to murder people. So it, all the people who sat in it just sat in it at the bar? Mm-hmm. Because it used to just be like a chair sitting out. And the Why would they were, leave it there for so long? Because they weren't really paying attention. They just thought like the people going off to war just died and the people were just driving and they crashed. And I'm not sure how they explained the man sleeping in the street and then finding his body hanging. But right. yeah, lots of um, really weird stuff. I'd be pissed if I just like went out for a drink and unsuspectedly 
sat in a chair that had killed 60 people. It does kind of make you a little more skeptical about where you're going to sit when you go places. Yeah. Some asshole spit in my chair that I sat <laughs> in at our bar the other day. Might be cursed now. Maybe. He's going to be cursed. Spit a big loogie in it, too. It was freaking gross. So, if you're listening, asshole, don't do it again. <laughs> I doubt he is listening. <clears throat> yeah, I doubt it, too. All right. Number seven. Originally, Maori masks were created to be worn by the fierce Maori warriors into battle. It is believed that if the maker of the mask died violently while fighting, they would remain on earth in the mask they had carved. Many warriors are believed to have taken up residence in the Maori masks. The curse is thought to be activated simply by a menstruating or pregnant woman simply walking close to the mask. This is actually kind of an appropriate one for the times right now. We're not going to get political, but... This is considered by the Maori to be the time when a woman is most vulnerable and needs the most protection. So that is kind of one of the rationales behind it. The thought of the massive surge in testosterone that can dramatically interfere with a woman's hormonal balance and cause the possibility of miscarriages. So being within like just a normal distance of the mass causes massive testosterone spikes in menstruating or pregnant women, which is crazy. (laughs) This has been proven. Yes. Due to this, all women are strongly advised to not have any contact with the masks. In fact, only male staff are allowed to be near them. There are 12 known and active masks in the museum in New Zealand, but due to the unknown nature of the creation, many more could actually exist. The glass case that holds them has a strong warning on it that says women who are expecting should keep their distance for their own safety and the safety of their unborn child. So they are at least taking some um, things into consideration. <laughs> Don't get too close. This is one of the first ones that's had a warning. <laughs> yeah, all the rest of them are like, oh, look, a pretty vase. Oh, I like this sad boy painting. My house on fire. <laughs> oh, and then last. Go was... get a new phone. Uh-oh. Right. AT&T trying to murder you. <laughs> and then last but certainly not least is one of the ones that I think is the most terrifying cursed objects in the world. And that's probably because I have a deep rooted fear of dolls. And Mm-mm. I also just do not like the feeling I get when I look at him. He looks like he is he made of wormwood. Um, and he just looks like he, I can't, I'm actually not going to say that out loud. I was going to call him something, mm-hmm. but Don't. I'm not going to do it. Apologize. Yeah. Sorry, Robert. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I would probably burn him immediately if I found him in my house, so I'm just going to say. So, we bring you Robert the Doll. And... And I'm supposed to say his name. I know. You think Annabelle's scary? She ain't got nothing on this guy. Robert the Doll's terrifying tale began in the early 1900s in a town in Key West, Florida. He was given to a young boy, and I found conflicting numbers. Some say he was four, some say he was six. Either way, he was pretty young. And his name was Eugene Robert Otto. He was commonly called Gene Gene Robert, surprisingly his middle name, um, was a very special handmade and unique doll who was made by one of two people. The story's got a lot of like, could have been this, could have been that. Uh, The story varies here based on the source. One says it was a servant who worked for Eugene's parents in their home. And another says it was a special doll made by the Steve Company of Germany. However, no matter what his origins, Robert the Doll is famously known as one of the most haunted and cursed dolls in the world. Everything seemed to be going great for Gene and his new bestie Robert, and the two quickly became inseparable. However, this bromance did not last long, and soon Gene was finding himself experiencing really horrible, awful things with Robert. One night when Gene was 10, he woke up to find Robert sitting at the end of his bed staring at him, which then literally the vision I get in my head is it makes me want to pee my pants. I hate that so much. Uh, Okay. Uh, A few seconds later, Gene's mom said she was awakened by pleas and screams for help coming from Gene's bedroom. Yeah, as you would expect. She could also hear the sounds of his furniture being tossed around and turned over in his bedroom. So Robert's in there fucking shit up. <laughs> He's throwing stuff everywhere. I just can only think of like Chucky. <laughs> yeah, Chucky's not even scary compared to this one. Jean's mom ran to the room to help him, all the while listening to his pleading cries. She couldn't immediately get to him because there was so much debris blocking the door. 
Finally, when she was able to push the door open, she found Gene lying in a ball on his bed, crying and afraid. Still at the end of his bed, Robert was sitting there. The room was an absolute mess. This would not be the last time Robert the doll made the family and child afraid for their safety. Jean was known to have full conversations with Robert that his parents could hear from the other room. They said that Jean would ask a question and Robert would answer in a completely different voice. I don't like that. I don't like that at all. Could it have been Jean practicing his voiceover acting, working on some ventriloquist skills? No, because Jean's parents saw the doll answering and saw his facial expressions change while he spoke. Yes. Why did they keep him around for so um, long? I don't know. I really don't know. He's like tormenting their poor four-year-old. Yeah, or six-year-old. Um, Robert was also known to move about the house, sometimes being spotted running up the steps or gazing out of an upstairs bedroom. I don't know why that's... It's, that picture is like so funny to me. It is not scary or funny to me. I hate it. Floppy doll arms just like sprinting up the stairs. Yeah. Ugh. It was about when Robert was like 11 that that really crazy shit happened. Oh my god, they kept him around for so long. Um, yeah, so Gene had no intention of ever getting rid of him. After the death of Gene's parents, Gene and his wife, Anne, moved into his childhood home at 534 Eaton Street. Of course, Gene also brought his best friend, Robert, with him. So I don't know what the fuck was wrong with Gene, that he not only kept this terrifying doll around forever, but... They were friends. Yeah, like... Gene, you got problems, man. Maybe he was just being, like, constantly, like, gaslit and manipulated by it, where he's like, if you throw me away, like, I will be the end of you. Maybe. I don't know. <sighs> Anne was understandably not happy that Robert was still living with them because the doll naturally made her very uncomfortable. In order to make his wife happy, because Gene decided it was hose before bros in this situation, he agreed to store Robert away in the attic why did I say addict? Attic. Where Anne would be safe from his mischief. Mm. Robert was unhappy to be cast aside and he really began to act up. He was like, oh no, you don't. Let me out. Whenever people would come to visit, come to the home to visit, they would hear footsteps running through the attic as if someone was pacing back and forth. They would also hear a menacing giggle from upstairs. And... The neighborhood children told stories of Robert watching them pass from the upstairs bedroom window. They said he mocked them as they walked to and from school. Which, I don't like that. He's just sitting up there, like, making faces at the kids. Horrible. Gene was like, okay, this can't be happening. He went to check the situation out because he knew. He just knew. He's like, these kids are lying. They're just, like, trying to mess with me. He's like, I locked Robert in the attic. And I know he could not be upstairs in a bedroom window. So he made his way upstairs, opened the bedroom door, and he was all expecting to find an empty room. But instead, he found Robert chilling in a rocking chair by the window. Gene was surprised, to say the least. He grabbed Robert and took him back to his new attic home and locked him in again. This would be an act that Gene would redo over and over and over again as Robert always managed to find his way out and back to the rocking chair in the bedroom. Despite all of the horrible encounters, Gene continued to love Robert and kept him until he died in 1974. Yeah. I Gene got some problems. <laughs> really? And, and I would be like, I'm sorry, but I gotta go. Yeah. I got to go. A new family and a new child who was around 10 moved into the house. While exploring the attic, she found Robert the doll and was super excited to have a new cool toy. She's <laughs> like, oh my God, look at this guy. I don't know. There was something wrong with her too, because ugh. But as you may have already guessed, Robert quickly started his shit again, and the little girl was not as eager to become besties with him as Jean previously was. She told her parents that Robert was alive and wanted to hurt her. Also, Robert had gotten back to his old habit of being a creep in the kids' room. This scared the crap out of the little girl, and her parents were often woken up to her screaming in fear. When they asked her why, she said Robert was moving around her room at night. So this family was like, uh-uh, they were way smarter than the original owners, and they did not in intend to keep Robert around with them for years and years. And they soon gave him away to the East Martello Museum. You can still visit him there today if you wish. Um, he's 
kind of on my bucket list of things to see, even though he scares the living shit out of me because I think it'd be kind of cool. But there are lots of stories surrounding him, like you're not supposed to look at him, things like that. Um, there are some questions as to how this little handmade doll became an evil little child-scaring demon. The main theories are that the servant who worked for Jean's parents was actually into voodoo and black magic and put a curse on the doll. Or that Jean himself cursed Robert and brought about his powers by constantly blaming the doll for his bad deeds. Because there are some stories that say Jean was a bit of a problem child when he was younger. And that they think it might have started off where he would like break something or do something and be like, no, it was Robert. He did it. And then he kind of willed this <laughs> thing to be. I'm gonna go it's probably a powerful with the, child. I'm gonna go probably so. with the Santeria. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, either way, countless people have spoken about the unusual and scary acts the doll carries out. Unlike most curses that end when the cursed family passes away, Robert's curse is still going strong. Visitors to the museum report the, that their cameras stop working when they try to take his picture, and then begin working again as soon as they are gone from the museum. And that's what I was thinking of. You actually are supposed to ask permission mm -hmm. before you take his picture. And if you don't, I do believe there are some consequences. To keep Robert from roaming around the museum, he is kept in a glass case, but that doesn't block out the demonic giggles or hide the ever-changing facial expressions of Robert that the staff report hearing and seeing. I would die if I were I in think, there. Like, I think the facial him. expression thing is the scariest because yeah. he's literally wooden. Right. So, like, his face contorting should be physically impossible. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. One of, like, my favorite internet phenomenons is sometimes there's, like, a Robert the Doll Facebook page with his, like, him as a profile picture. Mm -hmm. And, like, sometimes people will share his, uh, like, his picture on Facebook. And there will be, like, 45 people in the comments just saying, sorry, Robert, sorry, Robert, sorry, <laughs> yeah. Robert. Like, don't scroll past without apologizing. Yeah, we will definitely make sure we atone for... Speaking of him and calling him bad things, because... He's, he, yeah, very widely known. He's terrifying. Yeah, really scary. Are there, like, pictures of his face changing? I don't think so, because the cameras don't work, remember? But there are pictures of him. There are pictures, but if you notice, most of the pictures are taken from, like, a weird side angle. Like, even the one that I'm going to post. I'm going to post, like, a pic collage for everybody. I don't even want to look him up. <laughs> I have pictures of everything except for the phone number, because how do you take a picture of a phone number that doesn't exist? But, and this is just a small list of some of the known haunted and cursed objects out there. There are so many. Um, I'm going to bring you some more later down the road. If there's one that you are really interested in and want us to check out and talk about, please email it to us because I, I have my list, but that doesn't mean I have everything on the list and there might be something I'm missing. What? I, I am a, what? Speak. He People just looks like his face looks like it's been. It's got holes in it. Now why does he have holes in his face? That's the wormwood. That's how it looks. And also, why would someone gift this to, to a, a child? Like, know. it looks like the shell of a doll, like something mm -hmm. that you would put, like something that resembled skin, like it's facial like a sailor expressions, too, right? Over yeah. it, yeah. Been sailing anywhere? But you'd think that ugh, it just does not look right. No, it's terrifying. Nothing. I really. Yeah, hate they it. are all kind of from an angle, mm -hmm. but there are some that are head on. Barely. Most but of them are on the side, like, like they're trying to avoid him looking at them. Yeah, most of the ones up from the front are not there's good some, pictures. There's one from the front-ish. I wouldn't want to work in that museum. No. Like, imagine getting a... You're so excited because you just got, like, a museum a job. job. And you're in the museum where Robert the doll is housed in a glass case. And he starts giggling at you and making ugly like, faces. I feel like he needs to be in more than that. Yeah. They should face him against a wall and see what happens. He would probably turn around. He's so scary. I just want to see what could happen. If you guys have any um, haunted doll stories from home, as much as I hate to hear them, I'd like to. Or if you've ever seen Robert. I'm sure there's someone out there who's seen him in person. Yeah. I had a porcelain doll when I was a kid. And first of all, I hate them. They're fucking terrifying. I don't like porcelain dolls. But my mom, trying to be really nice, because um, they were expensive and nice, so it was like a nice Christmas present for us one year. And for some reason, she bought me one that she said she thought looked like me, which made no sense because it had, like, clear blue eyes. Like, the clearest of blue, and it had this really dark hair and this pale skin. It looked like Louie from um, Interview with the Vampire. Like, that <laughs> contrast between the eyes and the hair. 
and skin. And that thing, I swear to God, its eyes followed you everywhere you went. And I would take it and put it in my closet because I couldn't sleep with it looking at me. And she would get that thing out and hang it back up. It hung on my wall, mm -hmm. like on a nail, staring at my bed. And she would get it out and hang it back up. And I'm pretty sure that's where my fear of dolls came from. Wasn't there like a point in time where one of your sisters was like getting rid of a bunch of yeah, dolls she and she wanted, like wanted to know if we wanted them? Yeah. Do you want the porcelain dolls? I was like, no. Well, I don't think there's ever been a porcelain doll in this house. And there never will be. I hate them. Yeah. It's one thing if it's like baby dolls that are like cloth and like look cute. And even then, I only had like two of those. Yeah, I'm bring that. It's never really been my thing. I'm bring that dead eyed motherfucker in this house. No. I hate it it's so bad. It was just. I think porcelain dolls are scarier because they look so real. Yeah. It's kind of like the uncanny valley thing where like dolls that look super realistic or like wax statues, our brain like registers it as something weird or creepy because we know it looks like a human, but, but we know not. that there's something about it that's not quite human mm -hmm. enough. And that's how I feel about, like, porcelain dolls. I just don't like them. I feel like that one had the potential to be a Robert the doll. It was so scary. Well, I don't even know that porcelain doll that I had. I don't even know who has it. It actually might be in the garage. Nuh-uh. Yeah, I think it's in one of those bags of toys out there. Well, hopefully it's broken by now. That's where the freaking... <laughs> that's where the shadow is coming from. Hopefully she's broken into pieces And she's by wearing, now. like, Pioneer Lady clothes. Ugh. So gross. I hate it. Yeah, they were all, like... All of them are tiny little white village children. It was on, like, like rocking chairs. <laughs> it's like, why is that something I want in my house? It's like American Girl Doll of the Damned. That's what they really remind me of. I hate it. Mm -mm. Ugh. All right. Got anything else you want to talk about before we leave and I go cry about dolls in the corner? Go blues. Oh, yeah. Blues. Playoff blues. game number two tonight. <laughs> Let's go. Going to go check my favorite establishment. Make sure nobody spit in my seat and go <laughs> sit down and watch it. I'm very excited. Well, thank you for listening again to the Monsters and Mixers podcast. Please follow us on our socials on Facebook at Monsters and Mixers Pod, on Twitter at Monsters Mixers, and on Instagram at Monsters and Mixers Podcast. Like and follow us on your preferred listening platform. Leave a five-star rating and send us those stories, stories via email at monstersandmixers2 at gmail.com or at one of the socials mentioned, especially if you've seen a ghost with tattoos. I yes. want to know. We need to know it. I'm going to do um, extensive Google search. Happy Mother's Day to all you mothers out there. And we will see you next time when we dive into another terrifying tale and concoct a new delicious drink to wash down the horror. Now get out there and meet some ghosts. And make some toasts.